0: I'll be reading tonight from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3, and it's on page 681 of the Black Bibles. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. The second reading is from Acts chapter 12, and that can be found on page 1015. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too, during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. Then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that and from all that the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where they where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. "'You're crazy,' they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said, "'It's his angel.' Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison." Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been very angry with the Tyrenians and Sidonians. Together, they presented themselves before him. They won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, and through him they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he became infected with worms and died. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who is called Mark. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Belle. It'd be great if you can keep that passage open at Acts 12. We'll be ha- having a look at that. I forgot to mention earlier, I've got to zip off to um, Lavender Bay after church, so I'm sorry um, if I won't be able to get to meet you properly if you're visiting with us. Um, we're at the halfway point pretty well in Acts. We've been in Acts in Acts most of the year. Uh, we're getting to the end of the section where the gospel is kind of happening in Jerusalem and Judea, and it's kind of Jewish. Uh, next week, we'll hear Paul take the gospel to the ends of the world. Basically, so this is a bit of an end end point. It's we reach, um, we we finally kind of get a climax of the opposition to the gospel so far amongst the Jews. Now it's the king of the Jews, Herod, who stands against the gospel. It kind of gets a bit political, because you see, in our world, people in power often stand against God's mission moving forward. They stand against His kingdom's expansion. It happens in lots and lots of countries around the world. Um, I was hearing during the week of how uh, in North Korea, the the dictatorship are kind of scared that Christianity will defeat, I think it's Juche. I'm not sure quite how to pronounce it, uh, but this political ideology of self-reliance. And so they try to kind of silence Christianity. In our own country, we know that people are trying to get SRE out of schools, try to silence the Christian voice in schools. Just actually today, down at James Milson, some people were visiting and were told by the person in author- on authority today that today will not be a religious afternoon. None of your Christian claptrap. No sing hymn singing was the message. Our media, they don't want to hear the Christian voice. They don't want to have Christians kind of questioning the cherished norms and values of our society. Uh, you'll know this as, as you talk to people. you. People in particularly in powerful positions don't want you to question their fundamental values, the kind of your your business. They they don't want to hear you question the priorities of the company. Kind of give a Christian critique. They don't want to hear that. They want to be silenced. People in power are often threatened as God's word, His kingdom, kind of moves out, and that's exactly the point of Acts twelve. Herod wants to stand against God's word moving forward, but the point is, what do we learn from this? He can't. He's kidding himself if he thinks he can lock up God's word, because Jesus is Lord. He is not. None of the powers of this world are. That, that's the main point of this passage this evening, and that's the main, kind of the first thing I want to get at. But there is a second thing, a second kind of theme running through this passage. It's kind of a little bit under the surface, and so I'm going to try to pull it out a little bit later. That'll be kind of the second thing we look at. And that is that as the messengers of the gospel take the message out and follow Jesus on his mission, their life story becomes to look like his It's a bit under the surface. We'll get to that one a bit later. But but the obvious action is this big showdown, which is showcased in verse 5. Would you look with me at verse 5, chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison by Herod, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. So in the red corner, we've got Herod, king of the Jews. Uh, this is not the Herod who's, who's right at the beginning, where when Jesus is born. This guy's Herod Agrippa the first, not to be confused with Herod Agrippa the second at the end of Acts. He's kind of he's a, a relatively reasonable kind of guy. Um, the the Romans kind of like him, the Jews kind of like him. He tries to keep Rome happy by making sure he keeps the peace. He wants them to know that if any kind of rebellion starts up, he can keep it under control, which is why he, he attacks the Christians, the church. It's not that they're violent, they're amassing an army or something. Last week we heard they're were, they were running an aid campaign. You don't attack the Red Cross. You don't do that. But Herod's threatened. You see, the Christians are wandering around proclaiming Jesus is the king of the Jews, which is a bit awkward when you're the king of the Jews, right? Like Herod. The Christians are saying Jesus is Lord. And people all over his jurisdiction are actually starting to believe that, and they're starting to live in radically new ways and different ways, and they're challenging the status quo, and that's just threatening for the man in power. And so he wants to silence this. And so in verse 2, James is killed with a sword. That's a sign that this is a political issue, he feels it as a political threat. You kill political enemies with a sword, religious enemies you stone. And then in verse 3, he goes on. Would you read verse 3 with me? When he saw that killing James pleased the Jews, Herod proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. I would take that as a compliment. It's going to take 16 guys to stop me intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. It's quite a politically astute move, isn't it? You don't just go and get Peter. How will the people respond? You go for James, a kind of low-level leader of this Christian movement. The people like it. Oh, good. Okay, I'll go for Peter then. And he sticks Peter in prison, and the leader of the church is neutralized. I've locked up God's word. This Christian thing is going to come to nothing. So in the red corner, we've got Herod. Trying to lock up God's word. And in the blue corner, did you read there in verse five? What what do we got? We got a bunch of Christians in the house praying to God. How's it gonna turn out? Ding ding. Let's see how it goes. Let's see the fight. So verse six, let's look at that. Verse six. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, the clock's ticking, God's waiting for the last minute. Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. You see the point there? This guy's well guarded. And Herod's throwing his might against Peter. He's not getting out of here. It's a little bit, you know, mission impossible. I think if it was modern days, he'd have one of those alarm systems with the laser beams, you know, the one in the movies where you've got to jump over it and stuff. Yeah, he'd have one of them. This is Mission Impossible. The clock's ticking. He's going to be executed tomorrow. Tick, tick, tick. And and then in verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and a light shone in the cell and the soundtrack of Mission Impossible stopped. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. Then the chains just fell off his wrists. Mission Impossible, whatever. Peter literally just walks out of the place and we get the world's first automatic door. It's beautiful. And this battle, it's kind of over with a, like a one-punch knockout. There's, there's not even a contest. See, the point here is Herod might be the king of the Jews by title, but Jesus owns the prison. And then in verse 12, we're reminded of what's actually going on, what, who, who the parties in this clash are. Look, look with me at verse 12. Peter's wandered out of prison. He's walking down the road. He realizes, sorry, realizes it's true. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. Remember that? That was the clash. Herod, the praying Christians. Prayer has prevailed. This has been a great reminder to me this week. It's actually through prayer, that we engage in this big battle. Prayer is a huge part of how we, if you will, get in the ring and fight for the sake of God's kingdom, for the spread of his word. We pray. That's where we do the heavy lifting in this work. Now, I'm challenged by this because I'm not a very good prayer. I like to pray with other people, but by myself, I'm not very good at it. I'm tempted to think it's kind of weak. Aren't I better off just getting out there and actually doing something with my hands, getting busy? I'm kind of tempted to think it's one of the small parts of this battle, not not a big part of it. And I've spoken to a number of you who struggle to pray. And often when we do pray, we pray about such petty things. Let's face it. I think we forget that We as Christians are involved in the rescue mission for our world. And a massive part of how we engage in the mission is on our knees. Do you see what the clash involved there in verse 5? Peter was kept in prison, but the Christians were praying. That's what they did. They didn't get out there to try to break into the prison. They just prayed. That's what we do. And do you see how they prayed, verse 5? Prayer was being made earnestly. It's actually the same phrase that's used in Luke's gospel to describe how Jesus prayed in the garden. Just before he died, you remember that scene? He's praying so earnestly that his sweat is like drops of blood. And he is praying about the future of the world. He wants the world to be rescued. If it's got to be by the cross, then God, please help me to, be, to submit myself to, to your will and face the cross. He's praying big prayers. What would happen in our world, our church, our lives, if we prayed like that, earnestly? If we prayed big things, not for my job promotion, but that his kingdom would come you know, friends, I'm tempted to pray small things because my life is often made up of small things. You know what helps me? The Lord's Prayer. Would you believe how Jesus taught us to pray? Would you believe it? When he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's a, a big kind of prayer. What would happen if we prayed those sorts of prayers? Because if the kingdom is going to advance this is a big part of what we do we pray so tuesday night wednesday night prayer meeting 7:30 here well getting back to the story it's the morning after the prayer meeting and things down at the local prison are a little bit awkward verse 18 At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. I'm sure he was here a second ago. Verse 19, after Herod had searched and did not find him. I love that little phrase. I'm sure Herod didn't actually go out there and search for him, but it makes it sound that way. So you've got this kind of picture of Herod going, where is he? I'm sure he was around. You know, it makes Herod look like an idiot, which is the point of this passage. When Herod, uh, sorry, had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution instead of Peter. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So his kind of laser beam alarm system, all of his efforts came to nothing. You can't lock up God's word. And so Herod sulks off with his tail between his legs back home to Caesarea. But God's not finished with him. Of course, when he gets home, the Tyrians and Sidonians are waiting there and they kind of want to suck up to him and it makes his ego feel a bit better. And so he knows that the next day he's got to kind of appear before the Tyrians and Sidonians in this great theater. And he looks in his wardrobe and he thinks, how do I want to present myself? I know. And he selects the gown that was given to him by Lady Gaga. Um, It's entirely made of silver, according to the historians quite wonderful weaving according to Josephus and he puts it on and he presents himself before all these people and the morning sun is kind of just there and it reflects off this silver gown incredibly stuns them all they're overawed and they say it's the voice of a god not a man and he says you got it people or something like that and then all of a sudden God's judgment is complete. You see, on the one hand, an angel struck Peter on the side and freed him from prison. And on the other side, an angel struck Herod down because he didn't give glory to God. And angels, sorry, angels, not angels at all, worms, infected him and he dies. God's judgment. And the message is quite clear, isn't it? Anyone who thinks they can stand against the spread of God's word and stand in the way of it is kidding themselves. They're in for a rough time. They're going to end up like Herod. That's been a pattern in Acts, hasn't it? The high priest, chapter four and five, tried to stand against the spread of the gospel. They ended up flabbergasted. Saul tried to stand against the gospel going forward. He killed and persecuted the Christians. He ended up, One of them, converted. Herod tries to stand against them and he ends up dead. And what happens to God's message, the gospel? Well, verse 24. Then God's message flourished, multiplied. Friends, nothing is going to chain God's word. That's what we're seeing here. Open Doors is is a mission organization who every year put together a list of the countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian or to speak for Jesus. They call it the World Watch List. And for 12 years in a row, North Korea has been number one. And yet for all their power and all their efforts, they can't chain God's word. Apparently there's hundreds and thousands of Christians in that country. A lot of them in prison, but some of them kind of in powerful places. Recently, an army general in North Korea was found guilty for evangelizing his troops. Where we are, in our country, we might be getting new laws about marriage. People might be kind of sidelining the church's voice about that. We might lose the right to have SRE in schools, maybe. We might even lose the right to speak publicly about Jesus. But don't lose heart. No one can lock up God's word. Nothing will stop it. And here's a good encouragement, not even our ineptitude at sharing the message can chain it, can stop it from moving forward. Because Jesus is Lord. Not Herod. Not Caesar. Not our prime minister. Not your boss. Not the media moguls. Not even our culture. Jesus is Lord. And friends, if none of these people can stop God's word moving forward, why do we let them? Why do we fear them so much that we won't speak? It's not always appropriate to speak, of course. We must not fear them, though, because Jesus is Lord. Well, I want to move now and um, address a different topic, which I think, you could think I'm I'm talking about something completely different, but I hope you see that these things are totally interlaced. And that's the second theme that I said is kind of just beneath the surface. Um, And that is this. The message of the gospel shapes the messengers as they take the message out. It's just beneath the surface, but I think it's right through Acts. And Luke seems to be at pains to show us this. As the characters in Acts take the gospel forward, their lives start to take the shape of Jesus' life, especially the way that he died and rose again. You you kind of see this in Peter, just in this story here. He He kind of dies, he goes to prison. He's almost dead. He's effectively dead, really. He's lost. But then he's he's vindicated, he kind of rises, he's freed. And so look with me at verse 3. This idea that Peter's taking on Jesus' life in a way. So verse 3, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, isn't that exactly what happened to Jesus? Pilate stood him before the Jews, and when he saw it pleased them, he couldn't do anything about it, he let him be crucified. Reading on he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of the unleavened bread, exactly the same as Jesus. I think we're getting the hint that Peter's becoming like Jesus in his suffering, but also like him in his resurrection, in his vindication, in his freedom. And so this passage is a lot like Luke 24 when Jesus has been raised up. Let me point out a couple of similarities. We've got an angel in a cell, a prison cell. We've got an angel at the tomb. We've got a servant girl called Rhoda delivering the message. We've got a woman, Mary, delivering the message. The disciples didn't believe Rhoda. They didn't believe Mary. They told Rhoda, oh, it's his angel. They told uh, Mary, sorry, Rhoda, it's his angel. They told Mary, it's his ghost. They're all gathered together in a house and they're told, go and take this message out. Both stories. Both stories. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? There's a similarity here. Peter's life is becoming Jesus-shaped as he gets involved in the mission. Peter's not kind of trying to seek that on purpose necessarily. He doesn't try to to kind of suffer. In fact, in this story, he's very passive. First, he gets chucked in prison. That's not his own doing. And then he's very, very passive in his rescue. Did you notice that? Peter's not the guy you want organising your jailbreak, you know. He actually reminds me of of myself when my mum was trying to wake me up as a teenager. Do, do you know what I mean in this passage here? So, so the angel comes in and and the, and the cell shines with light. It's kind of like my mum walks in, turns the light on. Time to get up. I don't, nothing, no response from me. And so the angel hits him in the side and says, "Quick, get up." That's my mum. Get up. <sighs> Get dressed, Peter. And your shoes. Come on, we're leaving. It's night time. it's cold. Wrap your cloak around you. He's, he's hopeless, you know. I'm still like that, by the way. The other day, it was 10 o'clock before I realized my shirt was inside out. Seriously, unbelievable. But he's very passive. And yet, his life takes on this kind of Jesus shape. He suffers for the sake of the kingdom. He's locked up. And then he's kind of raised up. He's vindicated. His faith and trust is vindicated. And he's set free. And friends, I want to suggest to you that if you take Jesus seriously and follow him and really seek him, even, even speak for him, your life will be the same. We will suffer for the sake of the kingdom. That's actually the happy promise of of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hooray! Peter heard the same sort of words from Jesus' own lips in Mark 8. If if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So this has quite a pointy end to it. If we want to take out God's word into this world, are we willing to embody the message? How's God's word going to go out into your workplace unless you are willing to suffer, to lose out somehow, to be on the outer, to take up your cross? How's it going to happen? How's God's word going to go out into our world through us if we love comfort more than faithfulness. If our lives are directed towards comfort. And I point at you, but this is right back at me. I love comfort. Don't get, you know, don't get me wrong. God's word is going to go out. He, nothing can stop his word going out. Not even our kind of comfort seeking ways, but he won't use us. Friends, if we want to walk with Jesus, if we want to join him where he's at and be on mission with him, then we're going to join him in his suffering. And if that were the end of the story, we should all cry and probably leave church and never come back again. But praise God, that's not the end. Because the very focus of this section is that God is able to rescue. God will vindicate the people who trust in him. If we share in his sufferings, we will share in his resurrection and glory. Why? Because he's the Lord. You put your trust in him, that's the right thing to do. It will not be forgotten. It will be vindicated. Not always in this life, James, sword, head, gone, finished. No vindication in this life. Peter got a bit of vindication in this life. But either way, this is for sure, you will be vindicated. You will rise with Jesus because he truly is the living Lord of all. And it's for that same reason that we have this confidence. His word will not be chained. His mission will not be locked up. Any power that tries to stand in its way will end up like Herod. But as we trust in him... Our stories will end like Jesus' glory, freedom, because he is Lord. We're going to respond to that now by singing together about our great God. Glory to him. But I'm going to pray for us before we sing. Father, um, I pray now that you would take your word and um, put it to work in each of us. Lord, please don't let us forget the things we've heard and um, the way that your word has maybe challenged us, maybe encouraged us. Please may that be an enduring work. Father, I pray for those amongst us who perhaps have been flagging in prayers. Would you cause them to, to trust that prayer is significant and to draw near to you and get involved in this great battle, this great work for the sake of your kingdom. Father, use our church. Make us pray. Father, I pray for those who might be uh, feeling like it's all a bit hopeless. Please encourage them with the, the news that they will join you in your resurrection, your vindication, that you will not forget them, that you are Lord. And Father, for each of us, please challenge our, our love of comfort. Make us ready to walk with you, Jesus, in your sufferings that we might walk with you in in your resurrection glory as well. Father, please take us and use us. We want to be part of your mission moving forward in this world. Uh, So use us, we pray. Amen.